So the first reading is from Isaiah, chapter 60, verses 1 to 6, and it can be found on page 748 in the Church Bibles. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land young camels of Midian and Ephah, and all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. is from Matthew chapter 2 which can be found on page 966 in the New Testament beginning at verse 1 after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard that he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed 
On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the riches of your holy word. Please come to us by your spirit to teach us your truth, to help us to understand it, and then to live it out to your praise and glory. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, good morning again. It's lovely to be with you. Thank you for your invitation and warm welcome, Keith. I think I've said to you before, Ruth, and I love coming to St. Swithin's, and it's great to be with you again. Thank you for all you've done to keep the show on the road during the vacancy uh, and for your faithful prayers and giving. Um, vacancies can be hard work. It's probably too close to the end of it for you to look back and think about the good things that you've learned or experienced. But I hope in God's good time, you'll look back on the, the last year or so with thanksgiving and a sense of gratitude to God for the things that you've learned and shared together uh, over the, uh, the last year or two. For church wardens like Keith and Alice, it's always a demanding time. I think you'd probably be the first to say that you've had lots of help from lots of other people, um, but thank you all, and in her absence, uh, special thanks to Esther too. Now, if you're expecting me to talk about Three Kings, I'm not going to. <laughs> so, I thought I'd get it out there straight away. <laughs> um, I'm going to refer to the story, of course, but it's the significance of the events that we recall today that I particularly want to focus on. So the, kind of the, 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 the wise men and their gifts is all kind of in the background, but I, rather than looking at the detail, it's the big picture that I want to try to focus on. But um, as I was thinking and praying, I, I did spot a couple of things that I thought you might, well, it got me thinking um, more generally about the story, and they might get you thinking too. When, when I preach at Christmas time, or this time of the year, I often like to, to think about Easter and preach about Easter as well. And at Easter time, I often go back to Christmas. I think there's a wholeness about uh, our Christian faith that we, and the good news of Jesus that we need to understand. Uh, so, uh, I noticed for the first time, as I read this familiar passage of the wise men, the magi who come seeking the king of the Jews, do you know the next time that Jesus is referred to as the king of the Jews in Scripture? It's by Pilate. Yeah. The beginning and end of the story come together. 
Uh, and of course, when we think about the gold and the frankincense of the, and the myrrh, we also think about another rather different gift that Pilate gave to this king, uh, a crown of thorns. And instead of a bright sh star shining over the place where Jesus lay, as he was crucified, the whole earth was covered in darkness. Some really interesting contrasts, aren't there? And perhaps most significantly in terms of what I want to say this morning, in the darkness, it's the voice of a Gentile, a Roman soldier, and not a Jew, who says, surely this was the Son of God. Very significant. Very significant. But to get us into... Um, the idea of epiphany, I um, want to tell you a story about when our girls were quite small. Uh, we have Sarah and Susie, and uh, they're both uh, in their 30s now. Uh, but when they were growing up, um, I'm thinking perhaps when Susie would be four or five and growing older, and Sarah uh, nine or ten and growing older, one of the great family occasions, particularly in late summer, and early autumn was going blackberry picking with grandma and grandpa and mum and dad, but mum and dad were back numbers really. It was grandma and grandpa and blackberry picking that was most significant. We'd go out into the North Worcestershire, South Shropshire countryside and we'd pick blackberries. And I can remember they'd all have a little, they both have a little bag and probably eat as many as they picked. And uh, grandpa particularly was a great encourager of these little girls as they gathered blackberries. And uh, Susie would go with two or three, and, and Grandpa would say, oh, well done, Susie. Great days. And Susie would think. And Sarah would go with another handful. Oh, well done, Sarah. Great days. And great days were the big, the big thing. Great days. And they knew it was a big thing. But clearly, they didn't really know what grey days actually meant until literally when in their 20s one of them happened to say to the other do you know I've only just realized and made sense of the fact that when grandpa was talking about grey days and the sky was blue and the sun was shining I hadn't got the slightest clue what he was talking about. And what he really meant was that they were grade A blackberries as opposed to grade B blackberries rather than describing the weather. And whichever daughter it was, I know but I'm not going to tell you just in case you meet them. Whichever daughter it was uh, had a moment of epiphany when suddenly the penny dropped and fresh light was shed on something which had been hidden from her and she felt well not she didn't feel stupid but it was a real laugh a, a real smile and great joy when the family uh, share that story and remember uh, and that's what epiphany is all about uh, there probably won't be many Crystal Palace supporters here today, but on the 23rd of December, the BBC 6 o'clock news reported 
the unveiling of their new football manager, who happens to be Sam Allardyce. We won't go there. And a few years ago, I was invited to a church school, and it was a big deal. I'm a grade C celebrity, because they couldn't get a bishop. But I was there to open a new classroom, and I did the royal thing. You know, you pull a little curtain, and there's a plaque revealed with my name on it. And it was very exciting. And it will be very interesting in the political and economic sphere to see what is revealed of our economic and political future post-Brexit or in the United States when President-elect Trump uh, reveals his plans. Well, we won't go there either this morning. Um, but Epiphany is actually about revealing revealing or showing or unveiling and, and it's often it's often something where we do have those kind of moments of interestingly we use the word insight moments of insight when we see things which we've previously not seen properly or which have been hidden from us uh, we sometimes will say, I wonder if you can shed any light on this when we're perplexed about an issue and we haven't fully grasped it. Or we sometimes, saying, we sometimes say that we, we've come to see things in a new way. It feels quite quaint and old-fashioned now, but I can recall uh, when I first went to theological college uh, that, that my views on certain issues were very, very different from what they are now. In those days, I would have said to you that I did not believe that it was right for women to be ordained, let alone become bishops, 35 years ago. My experience of working with an ordained female priest and studying with those who felt the same call of God on their lives, as I felt, but had a different gender, opened my eyes to a new way of thinking, believing, and behaving, and was a kind of personal epiphany. And it may be that each of you, in different ways, have had similar moments when God has revealed something new or fresh about yourself, about his word, about the world in which we live, and you think, ah, I understand this, I see this in a new, fresh way. And if you haven't, then I feel quite sorry for you. And maybe it's something that we should all be regularly praying for each other and for God's church, that we're always open to see and understand new glimpses of who the Lord is and what he wants for our lives. We all need these epiphanies regularly as part of our journey the people who walked in darkness the prophet isaiah wrote have seen a great light those who lived in a land of deep darkness on them light has shined and in our first reading this morning arise shine for your light has come and the glory of the lord has risen upon you god's light has been shed in his world the light of Christ enables us to see ourselves, to see God's world, 
to see the Lord's work and to see the Lord himself much more clearly than ever before. So what's revealed to us in this familiar story of the visit of the wise men? The Magi. They came to Jerusalem, verse 2 tells us, seeking the child who's been born King of the Jews. They'd seen this special star, we've sung about it, we all know about it, and this star somehow announced the Saviour's birth, and they'd come to pay him homage. I wonder what they were expecting as they journeyed. Legend has it that they travelled for months and months. At the time, very little had been revealed to them. They didn't know. They were in the dark. And of course, much of the time, they were literally in the dark because they followed the star as they journeyed. They probably expected to find a royal baby born into a king's household. It's amazing the commitment and the dedication they showed as they travelled many hundreds of miles to get to their ultimate destination over a long period of time. An interesting comparison with us in our instant society when we find it very hard to wait and to be persistent. And of course, as you all know, although tradition speaks of three kings, there's no indication in the scripture that they were kings. There's no indication that there were three of them, nor that they traveled to a stable. The Bible just tells us that they went to Bethlehem. So what was revealed? First and most importantly, the truth about who the true king of the Jews really is. What is revealed to us in this story is that Herod is an imposter and a fraud. The true king of the Jews is Jesus. You probably know that Herod died soon after Jesus' birth. His sons continued the royal dynasty and one of them, Antipas, played a significant role in the developing story of Jesus himself. He was the one who had John the Baptist beheaded, you'll remember. Herod and his family clearly didn't take too kindly to the idea of Jesus or anyone else for that matter claiming to be king and violently reacted. If you look at the story uh, as it could, proceeds from verse 16 onwards in chapter 2, he uh, seeks to obliterate the threat of a rival king by having all the little boys in the vicinity killed, murdered. The true king of the Jews was Jesus. A couple of years ago, our, our, our Archbishop, Justin, wrote this. On the first Christmas, the shepherds, kings, Mary and Joseph, took the decision to allow God to take the central space in their lives. God, who gave them every choice and freedom by revealing himself in the form of this helpless baby. We remember Mary, Joseph, the shepherds and the kings for their joy, generosity 
and sacrificial self-giving. Herod, by comparison, refused to give space in his life for anyone except himself. And he is remembered for his cruelty. What is revealed is the truth of who Jesus is. Jesus is the true King of the Jews. And there's a challenge for us here. Do we sometimes ignore the truth of who Jesus is? It's great to have him as our friend and our brother, one who's alongside us to encourage us and support us and be with us in all the ups and downs of life. But sometimes we choose to forget that he has the authority of a king, and a king has the right to make demands upon his subjects. And he commands us to love and to obey and to serve and to give. And you can't do any of those four things without it costing. To love, to obey, to give and to serve are costly demands that the king places on our lives. As well as revealing the truth about who the true king of the Jews is, the story of the Epiphany reminds us of the universality of God's love. God's love is for all people. The wise men say, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We, Matthew might have written, we Gentiles saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. God's reign extends to all people. God's love extends to all people. One of our bishops, Bishop of Exeter, has written that the epiphany reminds us that from the moment of the Incarnation, the good news of Jesus is for all people. And of course, we see that universality of God's love throughout the Scriptures. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Perhaps you're less familiar with some of the Psalms which speak also of the universality of God's love. Psalm 72, verse 8, He will rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Verse 19, Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. And maybe uh, in the prophecy of Isaiah, you're more familiar with a verse which reads, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Many, many pointers through Scripture of the universality of God's love. And you'll remember at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus commissions the disciples to go out and make disciples of every nation. Even here, though, where Jesus is an unknown baby, 
the sign of the, univer uh, the universality of God's love is that this love is for all people and the gifts the wise men bring are those brought to a king or offerings to the God, but they're brought by Gentiles and not by Jews. So the challenge here is to explore within ourselves the part that the Lord is calling us to play in revealing his love to others today. I've often spoken, whenever I come here, about how deeply moved I am by the concept of grace at the heart of the city, a community of grace at the heart of the city. That's a very, very special part of who I understand you sense God has called you to be. And that this is a place of welcome and of hospitality. I'm sure you're going to make uh, Tim and his family welcome uh, and, lo and, and love them. But part of who we all are, part of the Lord's call on all our lives, is that every single part of our lives is to reflect his love. Our diocesan bishop and uh, the Bishop of Taunton have recently challenged all of us as a diocese to live and tell the story of Jesus, to make mission and evangelism at the heart of all we do. And the challenge is for that to be the case for every single one of our churches and every single one of our individual lives. What might that mean for you as a church, as a friend or a neighbour or an employee or vis-à-vis -vis members of your family? How might Jesus want you to share what he's doing in your life with other people, that others may come to know that God loves them. Thirdly and finally, after the revelation of who Jesus is, the true King of the Jews, and the universality of God's love, briefly to say, that the story reveals that God is always one who leads and guides his people. And at the beginning of a new year, and at the beginning almost of a new ministry, that's a very important principle for you to hang on to. The wise men knew exactly where Jesus would be born because God showed them by a star. He led them and guided them and helped them to discover the precise place where Jesus was born. How it worked, we don't know. How they knew this one particular star was somehow different, special, or significant from all the others, I have no idea. That reminds us that there's something deeply mysterious about the guidance that God gives us. Sometimes it's frustratingly slow, sometimes frighteningly quick. But the bottom line is that whilst there's much we don't know or understand, God calls us to walk by faith and to trust. That will be very significant for you on Thursday and in the days and weeks and months and years that follow as 
Tim's ministry here is established and develops and together you flourish and grow as you serve the Lord. It's a particular challenge for Ruth and me because as some of you know, uh, we're going to be retiring in the summer and we haven't got a clue what might be happening in our lives in the autumn or next year or whatever and that is something that I think uh, we're both quite excited about although it sometimes feels quite quite um, unnerving unnerving I think that's quite a good word but I firmly believe that um, when I hang this thing up uh, God's purposes for me have not ended there is no record anywhere in the scripture, and I say this to those of you who are older than me, no record in the scripture of the word retirement. And if you think of Noah and Abraham and Joseph and Jacob and all the saints, no sense anywhere that they hang their boots up and stop serving the living God. We just hear that they die and go to glory. So it's going to be exciting for me, as I hope it is for you. But the principle is that this story reveals something to us very significant about the God who guides us and leads us. And if you like, calls us on, beckons us on into his unknown future. I don't want you to be any doubt that I'm a very committed Anglican. But um, I love a service that some of you may have gone to in the past that the Methodists have at the beginning of a new year. And it seems to me as a new year beckons and as a new ministry with Tim beckons that... Um, we commit ourselves or have an opportunity to commit ourselves afresh to God's service. And in a moment, uh, uh, some words are going to appear on the screen, which are actually the Methodist Covenant Prayer. Can we put them on now, please? Thank you. I, while I witter for a minute, just read them through, because I want you to be comfortable to say them. If you go on to the next slide, please. And the final one. Oh, not quite final. Keep going. Deeply moving words. And I'm going to suggest we stand and say them together. As we remember, the true King of the Jews is Jesus as we remember that God's love is for all, and as we remember that God guides us, let's commit ourselves afresh to his service as we say together, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you, or laid aside for you, exalted for you, 
or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it, and the covenant made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. God is always faithful to his word. May he grant us grace that we may be faithful to the promise we have made today. Amen.